Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision, the FinTech Views. This is Theo and Barb, your host for this episode. Joining us today is Julie Monk, Senior Research Analyst at Finnovate, or rather, I would say the heart and soul of Finnovate. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Julie. Well, thank you for that, Theo, and thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited about our conversation today. So let's start with trends and predictions. Here we are, we've just turned the page of the calendar, so it's the topic du jour, I think. And here's one that's close to your heart, I know. Uh, can you tell us and listeners why 2024 is going to be the year of the resurgence of personal finance? Yeah, so obviously, you know, we've all read those 2024 prediction posts. I know that I had dozens and dozens in my email inbox. And actually, I don't think personal finance was on a single one of them. So I am not saying, just to backtrack a little bit, I'm not saying that personal finance will be ranked up with Gen AI on the highlight reel of 2024. But I think it will be revisited. And that is because obviously we've been seeing the cost of living crisis, high cost of capital, people leveraging over leveraging credit and that is making it necessary and even you know student loan borrower repayments happened last october so all of those are the perfect storm requiring people to have to use their income more wisely to have to pick and choose so i think that whether people like it or not they will have to kind of take a look and uh, at their budget for 2024 Wait, you mean we can't keep spending and spending and spending? I know, no. well, you can. See what happens. <laughs> I mean, that's what it feels like. Oh, inflation up. No problem. Keep spending. Things are getting more expensive in the grocery store. No problem. Keep spending. I mean, yeah. that's what some of the tools are for, right? Oops. Bad video. But, but to your point, though, last year, 2023, we've also witnessed the really sad shutdown of Mint. Um, now, I was the first one to admit I didn't use it. Um, and I'm also the very old fashioned person that still keeps paper receipts and Excel spreadsheets and manual tools of sorts. So I am probably not the best person to say this, but is there really a demand, a real demand for something to help consumers budget in 2024? And what would that business model look like? Yeah, I, that's such a hard question for me to answer because I'm such an optimist and because I love budgeting, I would love to think that everyone else does too. Um, but I think it's a little bit like working out, you know, like people really want, they want to want to budget, but when it comes down to it, sitting and looking at income versus expenses is really difficult and it's almost too much to tackle. And so I think if there could be like bite-sized budgeting, you know, we've seen tools that flag recurring expenses, subscriptions and things like that, things that can be integrated into existing direct to consumer FinTechs or even an end consumer's bank, you know, their traditional FI, I think that that could work really well. As far as the business model, I'm glad that you said that Mint shutting down was sad because I feel a big hole in my heart now that when Mint shut down, because I feel like when I started in FinTech, you know, 13 years ago, Mint and Yodli like owned the entire FinTech category. Like that was FinTech. That's all we knew. And so that's all we read about. And I did use Mint, you know, back in the 2011 era. I don't anymore, obviously, but I, I hadn't in the past decade. And I think it failed because of that 
business model. Uh, they had a, you know, dwindling number of users and they were using a referral model to make money. So, you know, whether it was pay-per-click or pay-per-person who signs up for a credit card. Um, and that just didn't work. And other companies use it too, you know, Credit Karma, for example, and I think they've kind of diversified a little bit more into more revenue streams and they've been that's why they've been able to make it but i don't think that pay per click works in 2024 so i think you know to function within fintech i think that budgeting service budgeting tools pfm will need to be integrated into either existing direct to consumer fintechs or into banks which i think that last one will be a hard sell for banks because their use case doesn't really Therefore, you know, it's like a middle income consumer targeting that, which banks aren't, you know, that's not going to make them money. So, yeah, I think that business model will serve them well if they're able to get there. So we have some mint fans in the room. I'll say my, you know, nostalgic memories are rose tinted. I hearken back for Microsoft money circa 2005. <laughs> I wish I still had that thing. If I had it today, would it be as good as I remember? I have no idea. So do you have a favorite in the list of tools you have used or that you use today? And when you're so optimistic about, you know, budgeting in 2024, what are the challenges in that? Yeah, so I'll tackle those separately. My favorite, you know, I'm with Theo. Mine starts with Microsoft and ends with Excel. I love a good spreadsheet. And part of that, and we can get into this later, is that, you know, we're in 2024, but the technology isn't there yet. Like, I have to go through receipts. When I go to Costco and spend $200, is it on bread? Is it on yoga pants? Is it on books? A, you know, a TV? It's not on TV. I don't have a TV. But it's like, it could be anything. And so because that doesn't work that has driven me towards good old Excel, which is painful, but true. <laughs> okay. So you asked about challenges. So looking at challenges, it's kind of going back to what I just said, that level three transaction data, it's still not available, which data is such a currency in 2024. I don't know how we get there, but it takes so many players on board, you know, not only the merchant, but the bank. And because the consumer demand, obviously, for end consumers, you know, I think for businesses, um, I think it could be there, but for end consumers, it's not quite there yet. Be but because that data is not available and consumers don't want to use it. So that's a huge, you know, those miscategorized transactions. That's a huge hurdle. The other hurdle, which I'm sure a lot of people listening have experienced this, but just bank integration. So Mint was one of those where you'd have, you know, maybe Back in 2011, you'd only have, you know, three banks or three financial services relationships. You'd have them all integrated. It would be perfect. But then you log in the next week and one of them fell through. And this still happens to me. You know, the one, my platform I use for wealth management, my bank is just like hot and cold. Like, who knows? I don't know if it's accurate or not. If it's like refreshing from, you know, last month or last year, because they just have been dropping through. So until we really get open banking in the U.S., that's going to be a huge hurdle. But once we get there and there's that free flow of data, I'm excited. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll get one step closer to like a more smooth budgeting tool. So prediction 2034. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, if you would have asked me in 2012, like, when are we going to have this? I would be like, oh, 2020, 2021, maybe. 
and here we are in 2024. Should we predict, uh, should we say 2054? <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, by the time my kids graduate college, here you go. That's got to have happened. I mean, what year you is know. That? So they're 11 and 15. Okay. By the time okay. they graduate college, it's like about 10, 11, 12 years from now. Because if by then we can't figure it out, I don't think any of these 20 something year olds then will be using a bank bank. Because my son already asked me last year when he saw me giggling while signing up for the Apple savings account. He's like, what is so good about this? And I told him because he's seen me use um, Apple Pay and, and everything else. He's like, oh, that makes sense. Why does anyone still go to a bank? I'm like, that makes sense. Apart from mortgage, I don't exactly know why I need a bank for. So there you go. By the time the Gen Z's start working, I hope we will have figured it out by then. Yeah. And on the topic of Excel, the other thing I love about Excel is I can create pivot tables. I love pivot tables. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my way of managing money and still is my way of managing money. So if anyone listening can create something better and easier to use, I'm all for it. But until then, Excel and pivot table it is. Yeah. Now, <laughs> talk about budgeting. Uh, talk about spend and shop till you drop an other hot acronym keeps coming back and coming back for good it seems like uh we have had simon with us recently that talk about buy now pay later every time i go to the mall i see something that says Klarna, buy now pay later actually it's more like pay in four or something with really cute pink um banners to the point i had to explain to my Daughter, this is not really a good thing unless you can really handle it and know to pay it off. Um, so until then, she's still on cash. Cash it is. Now, I do want to ask you, do you think it's good or evil? Um, and where would it go this year, 2024, especially given what's going on with the economy, given what's going on with our spending habits? And we've seen different versions of it. Um, last year, we've had uh, people come on to talk about buy now, pay later for business. We had had guests to come on and talk about save now, pay later. So um, there are variations of things. I don't really know if what is responsible, what is not, but curious to hear from you. Yeah, I'm so split on this. I'm not personally a fan of buy now, pay later, because as a responsible budgeter, I love delayed gratification. Like there's nothing better than like putting away a teensy bit of money each, you know, each week or whatever to be able to buy that one thing or, you know, make the update to your house or whatever it is. And that I feel like that's like the ultimate goal. But I also realize, you know, maybe I am more privileged than other people who don't have great access to credit or traditional credit or credit tools, borrowing tools. And so I think that it could be a great use case. It can be, it is a great use case for those people. That said, you know, you talk about young people as you did. I think that it's a little bit like marketing. It's like the cigarettes of, it's like marketing cigarettes to kids. It's, it's a little bit dangerous. It's a little bit risky, like the cigarettes of personal finance and it doesn't feel good. You know, young users we've seen, especially in the UK studies coming out, they're not using it responsibly. But that said, I think 
it could be better than credit cards that often carry really high interest rates. And the credit cards will also allow you to spend a lot more over a longer period of time. Whereas with buy now, pay later, you know, you might make a couple of purchases and default on those and then they'll cut you off. So you, you can't get quite as far in the hole. So maybe that's better than high interest credit cards, but at the same time, just the term buy now, pay later, like it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like a way we should be promoting people to live their lives, especially young people. I mean, or people who, you know, haven't had access to, you know, financial education. So that's where I stand on that. As far as other, you know, like BNPL for business, I think could be good just for managing cash flow. I think that's great. And businesses generally, you know, if you own your own business, You'd hope that you have a little bit of financial acumen there that you can be a little bit smarter about how you're using your money. So they're going to see less risk of defaults and things like that. You mentioned save now, pay later, which yeah, I've seen a couple of those and I love that. Just like budgeting, <laughs> loved saving. So yeah, I think that it, I think there is hope for it. Obviously a lot of room for that. Again, going back to that cost of living crisis that we're seeing right now and people being driven out of traditional credit because they're over leveraging and driven into things like buy now, pay later. I think that we'll see a lot higher uses of that in 2024. So radical prediction based on what you said, I think we should see more, um, you know, cribbing on truth in lending, truth in pitch decks. Maybe we should see more. I'm the cigarettes for fintech. (laughs) I love that. Like, like, likely not to, but let's talk about funding a little bit then. Um, you wrote a recent article, I guess, Finnabate blog about funding rounds in 2024 so far, which is great because we haven't been that far into the year yet. So where do you think funding trending is going? Yeah, so I want to be an optimist and I want to say that we're going to continue that. Well, and to back up, for those of you who haven't read the piece last week, I think it was like Monday through Wednesday, we had seen 10 rounds add up to more than $237 million, which was a lot. And then by the end of that week, I think another, we saw another 204 million come in from four additional fintechs on Thursday alone. So that's 441 million total for that week, which is huge. I mean, I remember last year, like mid last year, it was pretty dismal scene. And like, I would get a funding announcement, be like, yes, a fintech funding to cover. It was very rare. And so to see all of those come in the first week, um, that trend will not continue. <laughs> I think a lot of that, which I explained <laughs> at the end of the blog post, were um, deals kind of deferred that started in, in Q4 of last year that were deferred to the start of this year, or people just waited to announce them to the start of this year because everyone was on vacation in December. But I think things are looking up, though, despite that. I think it won't be quite as shiny and we won't see 2019 levels but i think that it'll be better than 2024 or 2023 fingers crossed fingers crossed i think over the sector in general it should it will be better if all the recent news are any indication let's not imagine what would happen you know towards later in the year when election and all that comes around oh, let's don't forget that will happen no. <laughs> um but but what does um give me pause is something recently that I read on TechCrunch that talked about the state of funding for black founders. Mm. I don't think we need a crystal ball to see what that is. Black founders in the United States last year collectively raised 0.48%. 
of all venture dollars, 0.48%. That is less than 1% in case for those of you who are listening and can't quite figure out the math. And that is around $661 million out of $136 billion. And must I add, that is the lowest on record in the past few years. Now, I don't know how many of you guys who are listening who still remember Blackout Tuesday, the black squares that we all put on our social feed after a certain social event, and we vowed we would do better. There you go. Here's the start of new year, a way for us to do better because we all can do better and must do better. Now, we're going to throw in a fun question, Julie, something that Barb and I talked about yesterday. It'll be fun, and we can all chime in. One of the things we all love is food. One of the first meals I shared at Finnovate Europe was actually with you, Julie, mm-hmm. a Thai restaurant right by Excel with you and Dave. Yeah. Right by that, like, little hotel. I can't even remember what it was, but it was had a beautiful view. Anyway, so food, back to food where we started. If we were to describe the state of 2023 FinTech in a dish, what do you think it will be? Wow. I don't even know where to go. (laughs) (laughs) Barb, do you have any ideas? Yeah, you guys start. So if I was going to sum up last year, FinTech as a food item, I would actually say sushi because, you know, if you can get your hands on, well, maybe backtrack for a sec. I live in the literal center of the North American continent. Chances of me getting my hands on very good sushi in these parts are low. Let's just put it that way to start. So if you can get your hands on good sushi, man, is it great, super great. And for me, then it's really a treat. And I think, you know, sitting here in January, we all love to be the optimist. Things are going to be better this year. If we don't live our lives with hope, then what's the point? Um, You know, so we probably entered last year pretty hopeful. It was going to be better than the one we left before. Geez, how could it not, right? But I wonder, did we actually end up with very good sushi last year? I'm not sure. (laughs) We need something with a hangover. If you ask me, I think it would be chili. It's one of those that you can spice it up as much as you want, or you can just have it really comfy food, homey style, something that we just need. It simmers. It has different variations based on where you're from. You can have little twists to it. It's just homey, comfy food, and I need homey, comfy food right now. Might not be the healthiest, but heck, we only live once. And if you add the proper liquid food next to it, it makes it even better. So that's how I thought of 2023. uh, It could be different. It could be better. It's a little spicy. It's a little hearty. Let's see where it goes this year. So now, Julie, do you? Yeah, I mean, I think I would say soup. It seemed a little soupy to me, a little water soup. We saw some good stuff, but there were, uh, yeah, just all the whole downturn of the entire tech sector was such a sting, obviously, um, for a lot of different reasons. And then 
you know, not seeing very much funding um, and also like lower activity regulation came in and threw a big hammer down and is still throwing a big hammer down. It's still hammering. And so we're still feeling that pain, but I think it's kind of coming. Yeah, it's kind of coming at us a little bit, or it did come at us in 2023. And I think that watered down, watered down the flavor of FinTech a little bit. And so watery soup felt like last year, but this year, I agree. I think we're going to see some spice. I think we're going to see some more IPOs, maybe some more home, homey flavors for you here in 2024. Let's see. It sounds like that's almost like a Seinfeld reference. No soup for you. Is that what they're saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. So before we wrap, let's bring us back a little bit more to the optimistic note. If you could host a future Finnovate anywhere in the world, where would that be, Julie? Because you you are like you and Greg are the resident. Of Finnovate, you're the face, the heart, the soul, the everything of Finnovate. Well, and Jim, but we don't see Jim much anymore. So, if you could just say, "This is where we're going to host it," and where would that be, and why? Yeah, so I will start out by saying I have no influence on where it can be. I've tried. I have a hard time like asking them to put like coffee in certain places. They're like, "No, no, no." I'm like, "Please." We should start a petition. <laughs> I know. Well, yeah, I think that's what the sponsorship model is for. But yeah. Anyway, so yeah, for me to have any sway here is difficult. So I have two answers to this. One of them is very selfish, and that is, I would love to see one in my backyard here in uh, Kalispell, Montana, because I wouldn't have to travel because I hate traveling, and to get anywhere from Kalispell, Montana takes at least a day. But that said, I actually don't want that many people coming into Montana. We already have a huge influx of people and it's really bad for our infrastructure. So I am going to say, and we've talked about this for years, actually, since like 2013, we've been talking about doing a, a Finnovate in um, Latin America. And I would love to see that. There's been, you know, a small pulse of FinTech activity in Latin America over the past decade, decade plus. But it hasn't grown. So I'd love to go down there and just to be like, give those fintechs a voice to help foster that fintech community. But I don't think the business case is quite there, which is why, why we haven't gone yet, but that would be great. Plus it would be warm, which would be nice. But I'm curious to hear from you guys. What do you think? What Where do you think Barb? to go? Well, I've, you know, if I split the global map in, in half for a second and, you know, the Atlantic Ocean's in the middle. I haven't been any farther east than the Czech Republic, Czechia. So I need to get further east is is a, a point on the map target that I would give myself. So uh, there's a whole lot of landmass over there that I need to get to that I haven't yet. So uh, somewhere east of there would be in my list. Yeah, and a lot so of fintech over there too. Yeah. Yes. Selfishly, yeah. I would love for us to go back to Asia because you guys did it in Hong Kong, you did it in Singapore. Yeah. It's a very different market. It's a strange market, but there's a whole lot of activities. Southeast Asia has been going crazy for the last few years. Korea is a whole different space that I do not understand. They're very inward looking, but there's a whole lot of innovation, a whole lot of activities and excitement over there. I just can't, I don't understand Korean. Otherwise, it would be amazing. 
personally, I would love for us to go back to Hong Kong, but yeah. Hong Kong is very much a Web3 space right now. So it's, it's changed from where we were there last, but somewhere Asia would be nice. LATAM is fun. Uh, I would love to learn more because if you if you look at what's been happening with the fintechs down there with PIX, for example, it's it's fascinating. They've done a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. I heard someone describe it as a mix of Google, what you can do with Google, what you can do with Alipay, what you can do with all of these different apps all combined together as one. Is a super app the super app? Like, oh, yeah, that's cool. They have real super apps there. And I mean, Asia, you talk about super apps in Asia. It's like, yeah, they're, they're doing it right. India, I think would also be cool because they have UPI their universal um, payments initiative. That's really, I think, so interesting to cover and seen a lot of innovation around that. And obviously yes. with all the people there too. I mean, it's huge that uh, digital identity, like there's so much going on there. So the, India would be really cool too. Well, we'll just go everywhere then. Why not do a, do a traveling mini Finnovate everywhere? Every two weeks, we'll be somewhere different, yeah. <laughs> but then again, of course, I don't write the check. So, Bart, here's to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today, Julie. This is lots of fun and can't wait to see you in San Francisco. Do keep us posted on where next you will be as well. And uh, for the rest of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision with me and Barb, and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks so much.